Lindsay Hadley, today's guest, is a film, television, and event producer focused on social impact. Her latest project, Uncharitable, is a documentary film about Dan Pilata's mission to reframe the way we think about nonprofits. Also a visiting professor at BYU Hawaii, she'll share insights about her work and her superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good Show. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been such a while. It's been a long time since I've had you on the show, though. We connected for Supercrowd 22 just last month. It's great to see you. Thanks so much for having me, Devin. It's lovely to be here today with you. Yeah, you know, uh, there's a little bit of irony in our locations because uh, mm-hmm. I'm here in Florida and you are in Hawaii. And mm-hmm. sometimes we think of those as interchangeable places. Today, it's gorgeous in Hawaii, and as we record this, Hurricane Ian is sort of barreling down on my community, so we're having very different experiences. Oh, I'm safe, and everybody loves (laughs) Similar circumstances. But, um, Lindsay, uh, you have done some amazing work over the years, just some of the coolest things. You've kind of shifted your attention now to film and television. You've got a big film you're doing, I believe it's with Dan Pilata. Is that right? That you're the film you're working on is you're working with him on this? Yeah, we just completed it. It should be released this fall. And yeah, it's basically a 90 minute exploration of Dan Pilata's TED talk called The yeah. Way We Think of Charity is Dead Wrong. And uh, Ed Norton's featured in it, which is fun and lots of luminaries from the nonprofit sector. And it's directed by Stephen Gyllenhaal. Many people might know him as Maggie and Jake's dad, you know, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's a great connection. That's a great connection. It's uh, it's certainly going to be an impactful film that a lot of people are talking about because that that TED Talk, uh, it, it's now, what, six, seven years old, and, and it's still something that people are discussing. Uh, yeah. it, it's just been something that... Uh, people have been talking about ever since. So um, give us a little bit of uh, a highlight of the, of the film. So people who may not be familiar, most people in our sector are familiar, but just in case, give, give people oh, a rundown of the, the yeah. ideas in the film. Thanks, Devin, for the chance to talk about it. Um, I'm really passionate about the subject, but um, so this TED Talk went very viral. It's been seen by millions. And actually the CEO of TED, is featured in our documentary saying that is the most paradigm shifting talk in the history of Ted stages, which is a pretty big comment from, yeah. you know, the person who, who gets to see everything that comes, comes across their platform. It's the perfect um, description of it though, right? It really is paradigm right. shifting, right? Yeah. That's so right. And so Dan, Dan uh, the film is called uncharitable and the concept basically goes into the idea of how, um, overhead is demonized currently in the nonprofit sector. That the general thinking or perspective or paradigm is that the smaller the overhead or the smaller percentage of overhead spent in a nonprofit means the better the nonprofit is, more worthy of your donor dollar. Um, and we basically uh, showcase a very strong case for support that that is that is utterly false. That that will utterly betray you if you're looking at. Um, a percentage of overhead to indicate impact. Um, one of the great analogies I use, I teach uh, students social entrepreneurship, or I did last year as a visiting professor at the university here um, on the North Shore. And I 
uh, always explain that, you know, homelessness is a major issue here on our island. And um, I said, hey, if we did a fundraiser and a bake sell, and I covered as the professor generously all the purchasing of the ingredients for, you know, chocolate chips and baking powder and sugar and milk, eggs, whatever we need to make amazing goodies. And then we put little booths out on, you know, Cam Highway and we sold, you know, cookies and, and treats of, or whatever baked goods. And we raised a hundred dollars for the homeless community, but we didn't spend a zero dollars on overhead because of the generosity and volunteer energy of everyone involved. Um, or I could put on a music festival, which I'm an executive producer of many music festivals for causes and uh, that maybe cost $5 million. Some of my festivals that they're, you know, have cost up to $7 million of hard costs. And that's not usually perform paying the, the music artists, but even if I, we did, let's call it $5 million. And we raised 10 million as a result of, of the incredible marketing, the optics, the exposure, you know, the sponsorship, all, all that would come with an event of that caliber. Um, and we had a 50% 50% overhead, but 5 million to, you know, make 10. Um, which do you think the homeless population would prefer if we were trying to help them? You know, yeah. so uh, that's just like a very simple, clean analogy of like, uh, of, of what we go into. We, we really explore a couple tenants and issues, but we essentially um, really, I think it's a really strong case for support of why we should think some new thoughts. Yeah, it will. It, it is just a, a profound observation that uh, it is a silly metric. Uh, right to focus too much energy on that overhead percentage, and yet um, it's still kind of a rule of thumb, right? Don't let, don't invest, don't donate to a cause where more than about twenty percent is going to overhead, and that rule of thumb, so incredibly arbitrary, uh, almost meaningless uh, mm -hmm. in the abstract, unless you kind of know what what's going on more. Uh, yeah. So anyway, great that you're doing that. Um, you're also working on a new television project. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, if you don't mind, I'd love I'd love to just mention one more thing about the film and the okay. concept. Sure. But, sorry to backtrack, but I'd love to talk about the TV oh. show. Thank you. I was just going to say this that you know, um, really, there are all these levers that we know the private sector use to have the greatest potential impact: pay talent really well, spend money on marketing. Right, it takes money to make money get incredible, you know, impact and in, in more advertising, get more eyeballs to hear about your product, um, taking risk, all of these amazing levers, the nonprofit sector has not been allowed to use and it ties their arms behind their back. And so we, we really go in and show this. And I think like um, at the heart of why I think people are so afraid of, of a lot of overhead is they want to avoid exploitation. And that's a wonderful thing. We should absolutely be on the lookout for someone who's claiming doing good and just lining their own pockets and, and a self-serving heinous way that benefits no one, right? Like that there are bad actors, there, there are negligent people. Oh, out sure. there. But, you know, the idea that we can't do well while doing well for the world is just a silly idea. If we can make somebody who makes a violent video game on the cover of Forbes for their financial success, why can't we, why can't we put the face of a woman who ends domestic violence, you know, on the cover of Forbes? Like why, I would love her to make absurd amounts of money because that's a heartbreaking yeah. generational trauma that has all kinds of negative impact on our society past immediate um, obvious um, observations. So anyway, it's just an idea of like, hey, if you want a community of compassion, you need to invest in it, just like you have a community of consumption. And and so we just explore that. But anyway, thanks for thanks for that opportunity. And the television show, Devin, uh, this is so crazy for me because I've spent my career as a producer of live events and campaigns. 
and small form content around social causes. Um, but uh, a couple years ago, I was working with a gentleman named Carrie Brown on a project. We were putting a music festival together in Iceland. And uh, we, I, I, I learned a lot about his wife, Stacey Sher, and her career. She's like a prolific Hollywood female producer. She's like been the producer on all of the Tarantino films. She did like Gattaca and Garden State and Aaron Brockovich and like some of the best films ever made. And I was just so wow. impressed by her career. And I was like, your wife just has had this amazing um, accolade of, of, you know, credits on her IMDb. Like, this is incredible. I said, I'm so envious because I spent all year to produce a campaign or event. And then it's live and then it's done that day. It's over, done and dusted, over, you know. And yeah. um, but I said, with film, it can last. It, it, it can be evergreen. Some films are deeply evergreen. For example, you know, I watch every Christmas. It's a wonderful life with my children. Right. And it's, you know, it's my family tradition. It's a part of my Christmas season. I can't, can't have eggnog without it, you know? So like, yeah, I literally, yeah. I literally think that films, they can be generational, they can spread, they can last in perpetuity. And so the impact and scale was really inspiring to me. And he said, Lindsay, like, you're a great producer. Like producers for film are the same as producers for live events. Like essentially you're just getting people together coming up with creative concepts, bringing the resources and making something happen. And he just gave me the audacity to like, maybe with no experience, try to go into the film industry. So this, this was my uh, foray into film, this film on charitable. So now I'm trying at a television show, but um, I've partnered with an amazing group called the Harmon brothers. Um, they're based out of Utah. Many people may be familiar with their incredibly impactful and revolutionary uh, infomercials they made for the internet. Um, the commercials are long form, very funny and very entertaining. And they capture your attention to explain quirky products like poopery, squatty potty, um, purple mattress, chat books. They've taken five companies to unicorn status using their incredible gifting as storytellers and, and creatives and marketers. And they've won like countless Webby and Telly awards. And they're, 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 they're literally the best internet marketers in the world. Like they've just done so well. And many people may know them as now producers of a very popular television show called The Chosen, which is Angel Studios is their new platform they created. Um, and The Chosen has been seen by over 300 million people. It's about uh, Jesus and it humanizes him and builds relationship with him and the characters in the New Testament stories. Because, you know, in television series, they've now done three seasons. You have time and breadth to develop characters and their stories and their yeah. backgrounds. And it's really edifying. I've really enjoyed it as a person of, of a Christian faith. Like I, I really have enjoyed it. So um, I've just been so impressed by them and their ability to amplify good in the world. And I pitched them this television show and they liked it. And so what we're going to do is um, essentially put it before they have this very disruptive model that is going to, I believe, completely disrupt. And it is disrupting the internet or sorry, the um the entertainment industry. Um, what they do is they have now 300 million emails and they go to the, to, to their data um, list and they say, you know, would you like to see this show? And they do kind of a Kickstarter, they call them torch campaigns, but they showcase what the concept is, whether it's like a documentary or a feature film or a TV series, whatever it may be, they pitch it ahead of time. And under the new SEC public uh, funding re regulations, you can raise from unaccredited investors up to $5 million, as we did, we talked about in your amazing, yeah. uh, you know, uh, 
gathering just recently. Um, I think that uh, it's really cool because they're able to spend a small amount of money investing, you know, hundred thousand or a couple hundred thousand dollars in a really quality pitch, like a, a torch campaign. And then they promote that to all of their audience. And then they see if the dog wants to eat the dog food, so to speak, that's a marketing term of like, does anybody want to see this show before you go spend 5 million to $10 million on a TV series and then hope and fingers crossed with investors and time and energy. So the idea to test assumptions, it's a lean startup kind of model, but for film and content is just so exciting to me. Um, it's also really cool that, that the general public can be investors in the show. So we're going to be pitching that here this fall and, you know, fingers crossed people resonate with the show and the concept. So that's yeah. exciting. So tell us more about the show. So the show is called Made. And uh, if you've seen, um, if you've ever seen uh, Chef's Table, it's kind of akin to this, the, the motif of Chef's Table, except for it's about artists and crafts, men and women around the world. Everywhere around the world, there are literal masters of their craft, the Michael Jordans of their thing, right? Whether it's pottery yeah. or samurai sword making or insect taxidermy. And these are people who have like this beautiful, usually generational or deeply spiritual connection to their heartfelt making, right? And they make things with their hands forged in fire, you know, like stuff that is really archaic and all of us as human beings. Um, yeah. Before the crazy capitalist world where we traded in, you know, the intricate process of, of hand craftsmanship and we now have everything around economics and efficiency, right? And and also not very sustainable. All kinds of conversations are going on about fast fashion and, and fast consumerist world. And um, we really feel like people will fall in love with these artisans as we find out how they were made as human beings as we learn about what they make. And then we're going to try to weave in um, celebrities into episodes as apprentices who are genuine fans of that master craftsman art and and get them to you know, bring their quote unquote, like fame, their, their um, limelight onto these artisans who are, who are literally like, you know, masters of their craft, just like maybe a celebrity is a master of their craft in film or music. Sure. So that's what it's called. It's called oh, Mate. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like a wonderful concept. I think you'll have all kinds of fun with that. that that's going to be great. Yeah. I, it's been a joy. Like I, I traveled around the world to get some B-roll for, you know, the for the uh, initial pitch and stuff. And, you know, I was recently with this woman who's one of the best female hat milliners in the world from Alessandra, Italy. And she's like 75 years of, uh, or 175 years, sorry, of generational hat making. And um, as a hatter, there's very few women. And she explained like how much of, you know, her journey trying to like get in the industry and become really well known as a woman hatter and it was just so fun because we ask in the episodes, how were you made? Who made you? You know, and they can say like a person that inspired them, someone that connected, who helped them along the way. And she said, I loved this because a lot of people are like my mom or my dad or my manager or my spouse or my, you know, whatever. Yeah. Maybe. Um, some people even give credit to someone who tortured or made, you know, um, made them have a lot of trial and difficulty along their, wow. you know, their, their journey because it made them become strong and become who sure, they are. Yeah. Um, but she said, I made me and she said it was so much gravitas. And I thought like, what a cool idea. And I do believe that we co-create with God, our lives and the world around us. And so to show the, the journey, that archetypal journey of people, as we see how they're made, as we learn what they make just inspires. Yeah. Me. 
Wow, fantastic. That's going to be great. That's going to be Thanks great. so much. You, you are super accomplished, Lindsay, um, <laughs> in, in so many ways. And it's exciting to think about seeing your movie and your TV shows. What do you think of as your superpower? Well, that's so kind of you to say. I don't know that I'm super accomplished. I think I've done a lot of things. I don't know how well, but some of them have gone okay. Some of them have done well. Yeah. Um, that's not trying to be false modest, but it's just like uh, something I'm I'm learning about is um, is is what how do we measure success personally, you know, and how do we look at things and um, you know. <sighs> My my what is my superpower to to answer your question? I'm really referring to your first part. You said you're so accomplished. I've really been learning in the recent um, years, especially this year. I spent about a month in Eswatini, Africa, with my children and my husband. I have three beautiful boys um, with people living in abject poverty. Very intense, visceral experience to be there that long. I've traveled, you know, to third world countries my whole life, but. This was um, really profound to be like doing life with my family, you know, um, with these people. And it was really a gift. And one of the things I realized in that experience was just just to the extent I've known it, but just to the extent that I have relied on external validation for my self-worth, you know, whether it's just somebody awesome like you that I admire approving of me and saying nice things. And I'm like, oh, I feel good. (laughs) dopamine hits right now. Like, this is great. Devin thinks I'm okay. Like he's so kind. Um, or whether it's, you know, from like a checklist, I got this thing, I got that email off. I sent this proposal. We got the celebrity I wanted for the show, or we got the funder, whatever it is. It may be, you know, looking in the mirror and like how fit am I or not. Right. And those, and that those measuring sticks and being disappointed when I, when I'm not, you know, when I've had way too many, uh, bake sell cookies. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Or whatever it may be that I am, I'm judging myself against, and and so one of my weaknesses is actually um, loving myself. And what's funny is my dear friend Henry Amar, he says that our weaknesses, our our weaknesses are really just our strengths with fear attached. And so when I think about my superpower, I really, I really believe that I have an incredible superpower and ability to love, and especially love other people. And I think that, um, you know, for, for years I've struggled with loving myself. It's something I came by honestly. Um, if you know anyone in your life that struggles, and sometimes people are vulnerable about their struggle with their loving themselves. Um, I tell myself about that pretty quickly, um, and it's pretty obvious, but sometimes I don't, right? Sometimes I'm trying to posture, pretend I feel good about myself or whatever it may be. Yeah. And, uh, and people see right through it. Don't we always see right through these things? We're like, oh, you need you need to feel loved. You're not feeling that right yeah. now. Um, but ultimately, um, what I realized is I actually have a deep and profound love of self. Um, it actually, it comes from my ability to see myself and others, which is, you know, I, I look, I look so deeply for the best in people. And, um, I've, I've realized along my journey that sometimes I only see the best in them and I miss cues that were really important to protect myself and have healthy boundaries and, and hold yeah, them, yeah. hold them as a whole human being that can also do harm and make mistakes and all of that. But, um, but as I, as I've learned in maturity to like see the wholeness of people, I, I just realize I will always rather assume the best in people. It just feels better, and I, I always rather see the best in them because that's who they really are. I believe on like an elemental level, who they are is the goodness in them. Um, Someone can say that's Pollyanna, but I think it's all that's ever 
I think it's all that ever matters through eternity. I think that love is the point and, and to see the best in someone is the embodiment of love. And so I think that's one of my superpowers. And I hope, I, I hope as I learn to love myself more, I can do that more freely, better, more sincerely, and more unadulterated with those insecurities that come with the, with fear attached sure. to that superpower. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's profound. And I appreciate you being so vulnerable in this moment. And you think about this consciously, and you have been thinking about this consciously, obviously. Uh, and you mentioned that this is progress maybe in the last year, at least some of it. Um, can you think of an experience, even if it's just a conversation or the way you uh you know, saw yourself in a circumstance that that you think of as a victory, as a success in this uh, process of learning to love yourself. Oh, thank you so much for making me reflect on this. What a cool podcast interview, <laughs> Devin. I mean, isn't this like why we're here and being human, right? Like to figure yeah, these things yeah. out, this existential journey. Um I, yeah, I, you know, it's probably been a seven year process where I, about seven years ago, I had kind of a, this, this year from hell where a lot of, a lot of difficulties, heartaches, challenges, whatever came into my life and stressors. And I think it was like a death by a thousand cuts where I had a lot of hard things back to back to back to back. And I had situational anxiety and that led to situational depression. And I never struggled with mental health. I, I my general bent is super optimistic and happy go lucky and positive. Um, and it was really humbling to struggle, to be in struggle and to struggle to find hope and to, you know, wake up and feel so much, um, you know, despair or despondence or whatever. And so many people deal with that. And in our lifetimes, one in four of us will have a mental ill health, you know, episode. And so for seven years, I've been on this journey in better seasons than others, but struggling with this. And really, um, it was, it was the summer in Africa that I had this experience, a dear friend of mine, Jason, who's a mentor and a, like a big brother to me that I work with in our humanitarian work. Um, he was speaking with me and my husband and he talked about, um, how, how actually, uh, trying to be enough and, you know, and, and this external validation, um, can become like an addiction, just like anything, just like uh, pornography or alcohol or, you know, sex or, you know, um, any, any other substance food, you know, it, it can actually yeah. be an addiction to get those hits of external validation. And when you're fairly capable, like I have, I'm a fairly highly, uh, highly capacity, I have high capacity. I, I do sure. work, I have grit and I work for days and I've also been really blessed with a lot of magical people that have allowed me to accomplish certain things and whatever. Um, but, uh, when you have that, you get a lot of external validation that, that kind of, um, kind of like, uh, validates that, that drug, right? Like you get that high of like, oh, I'm enough maybe, oh, maybe I'm not okay. Well, then I'm going to fix it. Oh, now I fixed it, you know, whatever it is and that process. And so he, we were sitting in Africa and we were talking about the faith of these people living in abject poverty, who's, who's at no fault of their own by the lottery of life or born into situations where no matter how hard they work, like it's a total fallacy to believe that just hard work gets you places. Like if yeah. you've never, if you've never spent time in the slums uh, with people in abject poverty, like, yeah, hard work can improve relative to their situation, but we take for granted so much in the West 
all of the resources and incredible just gift of God that we are and where we are with what we have access to. So, um, you know, these people working so hard, so diligently, they have this deep and confronting, it makes me emotional even to think about, but this surrender to God of just trusting every day they have to work to get the food they're going to feed their babies that day. And if they don't, they go hungry. And I've never had to live like that, that, that kind of talk about external validation. Like you have to go out in the world, put yourself out there by the sweater about slave away, literally in fields and in heinous situations. And then, and then hope that tomorrow, I mean, they just can't get ahead. And to see them was so uh, confronting. And he was talking about relative to my world, the expectations that I have, we were discussing this of like, you know, the house I want and the, the success I want and the, the relationships that I want or whatever that I have this, these desires. And some of them are really worthy. And I'm not saying not to dream or not to, you know, have like ambition, like that's beautiful. It's what drives us forward. But, but I think I hold on to it tightly and I rely on the arm of the flesh. This is like a scriptural reference, but I rely on myself. And when it's not going that way, there's this striving, this struggle, this self-deprecation, whatever it is. Right. And he just talked about losing your life to find it, like giving, like surrender. And I think every religion I've ever explored, and I've looked deeply in a lot because of my uh, tremendous experience internationally with working with so many people of different uh, cultures and backgrounds, I've, I've really reverenced their, where they come from and learning from what, you know, what they believe. And I see this elementally in every religion and every faith, every faith, even if there's not a religion, quote unquote, institutional backing, just like a faith, Buddhism, philosophy, there, I mean, even stoicism, like everything has at it this invitation to surrender, to have gratitude um, and surrender. And that, that radical gratitude and surrender is like the most beautiful faith. It's not a striving. And, and all of that is like the breeding ground for beautiful love, which again, I think is the whole point. So all religions try to get us to this place of now, surrender, peace, acceptance, and love, a state of love. And you can't get to love without, you know, uh, gratitude and, and presentness. Like, it's just too hard, right? Like, if you're afraid of the future, yeah. or you're living in the past with this, with suffering, like, it's so hard. I mean, even people that I've watched, I've had my own heartaches and losses, but I think of friends I've had that have, you know, just un have had unthinkable um, tragedies. Like, some of the, my friends in Africa who's, you know, all of their children died, you know, from the HIV epidemic or, and they're left single and their husband had affairs and gave her HIV and then she survived, but all her kids died. I mean, this kind of travesty. And even in her mourning, like she's able to be present to gratitude and surrender and love and God. And it's like, I don't know. I think so. I, in this moment, um, to answer your question a long way is just that uh, I had this, this moment where I was like, man, I have always been serving two masters. I've been wanting to do like purpose-driven work and help other people and do what I think God is called on my life to do. And I want all my cake needed to, and I want all the things that I want. And then I want everyone to like me and I want to be okay. And I want to be successful and I want money and I, whatever it may be. And I just had this moment where like, I was like, I'm just going to go all in. Like, what if I went all in and I just gave my life totally over to God and trusted and it was like so terrifying and it's not a one and done thing. Like it is a daily moment to moment decision, but the awareness, that moment, I, the, 
it was funny because it was July 4th, which is like Independence Day in America. I was in Africa and it literally felt like my Independence Day. Like I literally felt like a new creature. Like the next day was the greatest day of my life. I felt so much love and peace and joy and love for myself and others. And I had people coming up to me saying that I was like illuminated. Like I, I was glowing, like, you know, there was, there was no question in my mind that it was metaphysical as well as physical. And I just thought, Oh my gosh, if I can spend more time in that state, like sometimes we can't get there. Sometimes we want, it's just the earnest desire to to get there, but it's like, but that's the point. That is the point. Right. And it takes a, it takes a, um, shacking off like the sur- letting go of pulling back and incredible hacks and good people like you to be around that, you know, like I want <laughs> you to go off on me. So I'm like, Kevin, let's hang, yeah, but like, no. whatever it does, but there's all these, these tools and hacks to get to that state. And um, anyway, I think, so that's been that probably that moment was one of the greatest successes for that. As you've asked, yeah. thanks for letting me share that. Well, no, thank you. Thank you. You, you. Embedded in that story was some profound advice, and I want to just ha- confirm it with you, have you expand on it a little bit if you think you should, but I, I think there were two principles that you talked about uh, for getting to this place of loving and accepting yourself uh, in a more full, complete way. And I think the two principles were sort of being present and and manifesting or feeling genuine gratitude. Hmm. Did, did I get that sort of right? Are those key steps? And if so, are there others? Uh, what do you think? Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for letting me expound on that. So I think gratitude, it, being grateful brings you in the here and now. And seeing what you can be grateful for, even your trials, even pain and loss to somehow see how this is polishing me or how it brought incredible people to me. You know, I I think of the hardest trials of my life and I'm like, not when you're in it, it's really hard to see. Right. But I think most people, if you ask them um, on the other side, most people, if they're truly on the other side of the travesty, they look back and they're like, I wouldn't change it. That that's consistently the, my experience. People are like, I, I don't, I wouldn't change that when they're out on the other side, when you're in the middle of it, man, it's tough, but they, you know, they're like, wow, the things I learned, who I became, what experiences, right. Um, most people I think get that it's so for you. I think life is happening for you, not to you. Um, and ultimately I think gratitude, even in those moments or any time, just can bring you to that, that to the present moment and um, can fill you with love because there's so much beauty in this life and there's so much beauty in all of us and there's so much beauty in others. So I think gratitude and then the surrender, I think it's just letting go of that, the ego, the natural man, the our desires, how we want it to be and how we want to control things. And like I... Oprah Winfrey, I just listened to her, just such a baller, but she said something about forgiveness and she's, she's been through a lot, um, you know, sexual abuse and um, all kinds of difficulty in her childhood. And she talked about forgiveness is really just accepting what happened and stop trying to like control for a different outcome of what happened in the past. It happened. Acceptance, right? 
So this like, it happened. I can't change anything about it. What are the gifts and the fruits of it now? Who, who, who am I becoming because of it? And loving the journey and just like this, this surrender. And um, it's such an incredible, um, I guess, underrated skill. I wish every child, you know, in American school system would learn how to meditate, how to surrender, how to accept, how to find emotional regulation. I mean, like, can you think of like what a world we'd be in if we could do more of that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Truly, truly, truly. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for your insights and appreciate you taking the time and appreciate you being so thoughtful and genuine uh, in this conversation. It's truly helpful. I think... um, you're right that that many people struggle with mental health issues at one point or another. Um, depending on what data you look at, it sure seems like it, it it's a lot a lot more than a quarter uh, yeah. of us yeah. will experience that. And there's you know I think a lot of us have been through a shared trauma with COVID uh, that has left a lot of us anxious, some depressed, struggling. Uh, so I think your insights are profoundly important today right now this minute and i appreciate you sharing oh thanks Um, before we thank you (laughs) uh, before we wrap up would you take just a minute and tell people how they can catch your shows how they can learn more about you stay in touch i don't know if you're on social media somewhere but tell them how they can follow up and 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 you know fan on you a little bit oh you're so kind i mean (laughs) I don't know about fanning on me, but if you go to my Instagram, you'll see lots of my cute dog and my cute kids. Um, (laughs) L-A-N-D-S-A-Y-S is my middle name for Smoot. Lindsay S. Hadley, H-A-D-L-E-Y is my Instagram handle, Lindsay S. Hadley. And you can go to hadleyimpact.com. And when when the documentary goes live and you can watch it, um, and or when the TV campaign goes live, we'll be promoting it, I'm sure, shamelessly. But you know, it's a real joy to to be a part of uh, the filmmaking world because at the end of the day, it's just storytelling. And I think it's like one of the oldest and most um, ancient and powerful arts. I mean, it's just uh, communicating what's in the heart and creating um, either analogies of what has been, what will be. It's just a way to communicate um, ideas that, that enroll people on a journey. And so it's really fun to take, uh, you know, 15 years of an experience as a consultant in the nonprofit sector and move into the space. And I, you know, I, the cool part is I really, I really think the learnings of the last year and a couple of years with my mental health struggles and my learning to love myself is helping me in the filmmaking stuff. Cause I'm like, Oh, I don't take any of it too seriously. And, you know, it, it's been a really joyful process. It feels like play to me. And that's really fun. Cause I've spent a lot of years being a little stressed out. I'm not going to lie, you know, about <laughs> yeah. to go perfectly. So, um, it's a nice time, but I'm so grateful you gave me this chance to talk about it. And well, I'm, excited thank you. To, I'm excited to keep working with you, Devin, to share good in the world. And, you know, well, thank you. you interview some of our talent when it when when these good. things are live. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, for sure. I'd love it. Thank you so, so much. Well, listen, uh, we wish you every success with the, the movie and your new show and uh, want to see you help create all the good in the world you can. Thanks so much, Devin. Take care. All righty. <laughs> Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, 
we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.